This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And we are your hosts. And uh, today we're talking about something that is completely horrifying historically and modernly. Sugar! Yay! Yay! We're going to ruin that cupcake you were just about to shove into your mouth. I definitely started researching this while eating a cupcake and then felt (laughs) really bad about my entire life. I I was eating a piece of cake, which I think you guys probably have seen. It's a little short promo we did with some fireworks involved. Yeah, we definitely, we didn't explode a piece of cake, but we exploded some things on top of a piece of cake. Yes. We may or may not have disconnected the... Fire alarm, maybe. Maybe. It's certainly, if there's anyone from any federal agencies involved listening to this, we can neither confirm nor deny any kind of action to that extent. And the flame. By the way, how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) And the flames were really only like a foot high, so it was fine. Yeah. Um, but yes, sugar. In addition to being horrifying, it's also like biologically an essential substance in our diets. Uh, I mean, cupcakes aren't really, but sugar itself, yeah. um, because, because our cells break down sugars and other carbohydrates to generate chemical energy, uh, which is probably why, um, a lot of animals like, like humans and rats and dogs and other living things are, are primed to detect and to, to enjoy sweet foods. Yes. And boy, do we enjoy them. We 
do. They're delicious. Do, do you have a sweet tooth, Annie? Are you more of a... You know, the funny thing is I used to not. I was, when I was a kid on Halloween, I would go around and get the best Halloween candy and I would sell it <laughs> over the next couple of weeks and I'd make that's a nice am- profit off of that's it. That's amazing. Young entrepreneur. Yeah, but when I got to college, something kicked in and now it's baked goods. Those are like oh, my yeah. number one downfall. I've I've always had a sweet tooth for like everything. It's... It's great. <laughs> Is it? Nope. <laughs> let's let's get the the like the like basic definition and science out of the way here. So when when we say sugar, what are we talking about? We're generally referring to refined white granulated sugar, also called sucrose or table sugar, not fruit sugar, the kind that naturally occurs in foods. Sucrose is a soluble carbohydrate and like all carbohydrates is composed of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. And it's a disaccharide or the product of two monosaccharide sugars, fructose and glucose clumped together. Which, for practical purposes, means that when your body deals with sucrose, it has to break those components apart before it can use it. There are lots of naturally occurring sugars other than sucrose. Um, uh, lactose and galactose, which are milk sugars. Um, the aforementioned fructose found in honey and some plants. Maltose from barley, etc. Um, and they all have slightly different chemical properties, like the, the number of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen atoms and differences in the way that those atoms bond. But... But basically, chemically speaking, um, in, in, in chemistry speak, as Annie, I think, wrote in the notes, <laughs> um, sugars come with the suffix os. So if you're looking on those food labels and you see an os, it's, it's a sugar. Probably a sugar, yeah. Yeah, it's likely. Um, as far as the etymology goes, the first written use of sucrose comes to us from an English chemist, William Allen Miller, in 1857's Elements of Chemistry, Part 3, and is derived from the French word sucre. Sucre. Yes. Um, sugar is mainly used for flavor, pretty obvious, but it's also used in preserving foods and fermentation. Um, and for its chemical properties in like candy making and baking mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And like we said earlier, we love this stuff. The USDA forecasts that 174 million tons will be produced in 2017, with Brazil being the largest producer. And BCC Research, a which, which is a market research company, projected that the value of the industry will be worth about $82 billion this year. Whew. So, yeah, so we, so we dig sugar. Yeah. Let's ruin it for you. Yeah, sugar does not dig us. <laughs> it's <laughs> no. kind of the problem. Nope. And you've probably heard a lot about this lately. It's kind of a popular topic of discussion in science right now. Uh, yeah, especially surrounding, I think that there's a lot more public discussion of high fructose corn syrup. Yes. Than of actual like sugar, sucrose, table sugar, sugar. Mm-hmm. But, but both are pretty chemically similar. Um, the, the, the differences between the two and how our bodies handle them is kind of complicated, but, but basically both are made up of fructose and glucose. It's, it's about a 50-50 mix in sugar and about a 55-45 mix in high fructose corn syrup. Um, hence the high fructose part. <laughs> and our bodies process fructose and glucose differently based on a whole bunch of complicated factors, some of which we'll get into a bit here. But most of the uh, health concerns revolve around, around added sugars. Yeah. Adding sugar to food can significantly raise the calories and doesn't have much in the way of nutritional value, and it doesn't make you feel any fuller. 
okay, sure, but really how much of the food that we eat can possibly contain added sugars? Mm. 74% of the products in the United States food supply contain added sweeteners. So, (laughs) so a bunch, a bunch of them can. According to the World Health Organization, you should be getting less than 10% of your daily caloric intake from added sugars. And ideally, less than 5%. 5%, according to the American Heart Association, equals about 6 teaspoons, 25 grams or less a day for women, and 9 teaspoons or 36 grams a day for men. Okay, can you put that into perspective for us? Absolutely, I can. I came with an example just for such a question. Yes. Um, to put that in perspective, Lauren, a single can of Coca-Cola has 39 grams of sugar. So you've already surpassed the recommended Ugh. amount in one drink. Most Americans consume about 22 teaspoons of added sugar a day. And that on average is 60 pounds per year, in, Wait. specifically in 2008. Uh, but that's, that's a pretty good average-ish number. It's been going down slightly in recent mm-hmm. years yes. due to some new regulations and new awareness of this kind of added sugar. Yes. But but yeah, it, it's it's... Almost four times the World Health Association slash American Heart Association recommended amount. And, and that's, that's in America. And just kind of side note, we will be talking about America through most of this episode because that's where we live. Um, but we should mention that this problem is not confined to America. Uh, according to the World Health Organization, few populations around the world fall under the ideal 5% of daily calories being from added sugar, and lots of populations range from the 10 to 20% that we are hovering at the top end of. Right. We'd Go. like to win. <laughs> Go team. We're the best. Yes. Congrats. Actually, I think I think Portugal is narrowly beating us out. Oh, really? Good good job, guys. I would have guessed the United Kingdom. No offense. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just just processed foods, places where processed foods are pretty yeah. common. For a while, if we look at the main health concerns that we had about sugar and excessive sugar intake, mostly what you heard was tooth decay and hyperactivity. Uh, tooth, tooth decay, still pretty solid. Yes, there's... There's some science to back that up. (laughs) Sure. Brush your teeth, kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But about hyperactivity. Yes. I remember reading an article about this a couple years ago, and it seems like there's been more research on it since then. The hyperactivity aspect or the so-called sugar high, sugar buzz, uh, it's probably not because of sugar. The sugar might enhance something that's already there. But when we think of kids going wild, because of sugar at parties, it's probably more the party and huh. the excitement of the atmosphere that's causing the perceived hyperactivity. Or or possibly the fact that, like, chocolate and sodas are caffeinated. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> Caffeine will totally give you a buzz. But the sugar itself, it while it might help enhance something that already exists, it's probably not for the average kid. Actually making them hyper. Right. So that aside aside, we now know that sugar can lead to more serious health complications, potentially including cancer. But for sure, obesity and the plethora of health stuff that can come from obesity, like uh, heart disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and type 2 diabetes, none of which is good. Nope. Uh, sugar is a leading cause of obesity in both children and adults. 
because like we said earlier, it doesn't make you feel full. So you're going to keep eating it. Mm-hmm. Plus, you probably really enjoy it. Yeah. So you're going to keep eating it. <laughs> uh, and while you keep eating it, there's a massive release of dopamine in the brain's reward center, way more than most food that we can find in nature. And that means that it can be, in quotes, addictive. More, more on that later. It's a, right. it's a complicated issue and yes. we've got some, some actually really interesting, um, science to share with you about it. It's much easier. <laughs> and I can attest to this to lose control and overeat with sugar because you aren't getting fuller and your brain is getting stimulated with that sweet, sweet dopamine. Huh. <laughs> That's way to go, body. <laughs> You're not doing us any favors. In a 2000 paper I found in The Lancet looking at the relationship of sugar-sweetened drinks and childhood obesity of the 548 children who drank a daily serving of a sweetened beverage, beverage, excuse me, the link between increased risk of obesity and sugar was 60%. Wow. Recent studies indicate that heart disease, the leading cause of death in the U.S. and long blamed on saturated fats, may actually be caused by sugar and the havoc it wreaks on metabolism. Some other studies show consuming copious amounts of fructose, which is part of the makeup of sucrose, like we said earlier, can spike up the levels of triglycerides. Which are fats in the blood. Right. Blood glucose and insulin, as well as increasing abdominal obesity. <laughs> abdominal. Abdominal obesity. <laughs> abdominal obesity in only 10 weeks. Um, and, and these are all symptoms of something called metabolic syndrome, which is a set of bodily happenings that are a major risk factor for heart disease and diabetes. Um, in a, in a normally functioning body, what happens is you eat food and then your body breaks down some of that into glucose. When the glucose enters the bloodstream, your body secretes insulin, which carries glucose to cells to make energy happen. But when there's a lot of glucose in the blood for a long time, your cells start ignoring insulin. It's it's like ignoring a delivery driver. Like, we've got enough. No, thanks. We're <laughs> chill here. Um, so your dumb body then goes like, oh, there's still all this glucose in the bloodstream. Better release some more insulin, delivery drivers, which exacerbates the problem. And the cells ignore the insulin even harder. Um, this this is called insulin resistance, and it can lead to a few things that you do not want. It can overload your pancreas, which is your insulin producer, that the cells responsible for producing insulin get worn down and start dying off, which leads to type 2 diabetes, um, in which case you need to start taking doses of insulin in order to get glucose into your cells so that you, you know, continue living. That's kind of like firstly. Secondly, when there's spare glucose in the blood, your cells convert it to fat, which leads to to like bad fat accumulations, the uh, the, the LDL stuff, mm-hmm. which can in turn contribute to heart attack and stroke. I- interesting, interesting side note. Um, fascinating morbidity. Uh, a, <laughs> a study that was recently published in the Journal of Clinical Investigation found a single protein that they think regulates both fat synthesis and insulin signals. And the overactivity of that protein, they think, is what causes insulin resistance in the first place. So, so, I mean, I mean, it's, it's good. It's good to find things out. Maybe they can help that protein out in the future and do stuff with it. Yeah. Um, science marches forward. Indeed. Um, other things that are bad. Having too much <laughs> glucose in your blood is bad news over the long term. It can cause damage to organs like your kidneys or your eyes. It can cause nerve damage and even at, at a certain point necessitate amputation because like if, if you've got 
nerve damage and poor blood circulation going on at the same time. You know, like like if you're if you're diabetic, you might develop a sore on your foot, not notice it due to nerve damage. That leads to complications, complications, and you wind up needing to amputate. Bad times. And that is just glucose. Um, a- another f- factor in the development of insulin resistance may be the consumption of fructose, which you'll remember is half of refined sugar and a little bit more than half of high fructose corn syrup. Right. Unlike glucose, which is broken down by every cell in your body, mostly just your liver processes fructose. In in lab rats, taking in a whole bunch of fructose from added sugars prompts the liver to turn the fructose into fat in the liver, the, the, the same way that the rest of the cells in your body would do with, with glucose, which in the liver helps lead to insulin resistance. And even if it does not, I mean, we, we don't have studies that say that it does that for sure in humans yet, mm-hmm. but... Even if it doesn't, uh, it, it definitely stresses your liver out, yeah. which is bad times. Yeah. Your liver's got enough problems to deal with. It really does. Um, the link between sugar and cancer is more tenuous. Um. But having <laughs> obesity, diabetes, or metabolic syndrome are all associated with an increased risk of cancer. Um, I, of course, there are a lot of factors at play with developing cancer, mm-hmm. but one of them is that insulin does promote tumor growth. Uh, c- cancer cells get their growth fuel from insulin, just like your body cells do. So the more insulin you've got floating around, the better a tumor could grow. Ugh. <laughs> and that concludes our bad news section on the health of your body. Uh, coming up, we've got more bad news. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is, this is partially psychological bad news. So, so that's nice. Um, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, we're silver lining it, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a, a a fascinating and and deeply disturbing episode that I I hope you're enjoying. Also, uh, hey, speaking of fabulous transitions, let's uh let's pause for a moment for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you, sponsor. Now, back to that addiction thing we were talking about earlier. Yes. Yay. I remember reading recently-ish that a headline (laughs) said uh, sugar in cereals was just as addictive as cocaine. What does the science say about sugar and addiction? Well. (laughs) Well. A 2007 review of the literature called Evidence for Sugar Addiction, Behavior and Neurochemical Effects of Intermittent Excessive Sugar Intake. That's quite a title. Yes. Tested this by looking at studies involving four addictive behaviors in rats. Binging, craving, withdrawal, and cross-sensitization. <laughs> that was not correct. Cross-sensitization. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Where's... I can't even speak English. <laughs> I try. <laughs> uh, and this is um, becoming sensitized to a similar substance, a.k.a. gateway drug. Gateway drugs. And they found that in specific scenarios, mainly binge-like scenarios mixed with periods of deprivation, some of the rats became dependent on sugar and that they were able to demonstrate all four of these addictive behaviors in the rats. The adaptions in neurochemistry resemble that of psychostimulants and opiates, but on a very much smaller scale. The review did point out that addiction is a term around which there is still a lot of debate uh, and that this is often used synonymously with dependence, mm-hmm. which they're not necessarily the same thing. No. It's worth checking out. Something that stood out to me is that in one study they mentioned, rats who were given intermittent access to sugar and then they had that access cut off, they consumed 9% more alcohol on average. And... In the back of my brain, I was like, so they're giving the rats alcohol and sugar. <laughs> it's a great weekend for the rats. No, it probably, it probably isn't. Um, no, the, that study in particular was testing that gateway drug factor with sugar right. and alcohol. Um, the, the idea being that if you give an animal one addictive drug for a while and then deny them it, they'll react more strongly to a newly introduced addictive drug. Uh, like, like a like a dose of sugar or amphetamine, for example, that wouldn't affect a rat that had been given no sugar would make a sugar-deprived rat hyperactive and also make it consume more of, of the new drug. Um, hmm. So it's, it's really interesting and, and kind of scary that this plays out with sugar as the base drug, even if e- even if the effect wasn't as strong as it would be for something like cocaine. Right. <laughs> a- 2014 review titled Eating Addiction Rather Than Food Addiction Better Captures Addictive Like Eating Behavior. That's the whole title. (laughs) Um, As the name suggests, proposed that the name food addiction and sugar addiction falls under that umbrella. It was misleading because the data we're working off of is so new and more accurately refers to addictive eating behavior. Um, As opposed to the last review paper we were talking about, which only covered animal studies, this one covered both animal and human studies. So ups for it. Right. And part of the argument here is that the brain is complicated, y'all. And the reward system gets triggered 
whenever you eat anything, thanks to the drive to survive and all that. <laughs> sugar was singled out in the study as something that comes with a set of pleasing environmental factors. Those birthday parties we talked about, for sure. instance. Yeah. And that the pleasurable association with sweets in your brain can lead you to seek out these empty calories, even when you're not hungry. The more you eat a food, the less dopamine response you get to it, unless you're going to have to up your intake to get that same feeling, which sounds a lot like building a tolerance to me. High fat and high sugar foods are like a party in our brains. <laughs> You're right. The reward center is going wild, shooting off fireworks. <laughs> and these used to be difficult to find, if not pretty much non-existent in nature. But now they're everywhere. They're like pretty much the whole center of the grocery store. Essentially. And so they're easy for us to get our hands on and they're super rewarding, which does lead us to seek them out more or at least to want to seek them out more mm-hmm. and thus increase our tolerance. But that isn't quite addiction. Right. Uh, one of the main problems this review had with previous studies is that the use of a single food provided to the rats is a bit of a stretch to extrapolate to human eating habits and choices. Which frequently those those studies are dealing with. Right. They're like, eat these brownies, rats. Yeah. Um, also, a sentence I enjoyed from this study, quote, compared to cocaine... Rats are less motivated to work for a chocolate drink, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> Deep insight. Science. Into rats. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, 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 the review, um, talks, um, about the potentially addictive properties of, of other foods than sweet foods, but it does specifically point out that more research is needed to determine whether the withdrawal behaviors seen in, in studies with rats and sugar could indicate behavioral addiction rather than substance addiction. Right. Um, and, and it points out that studies with rats and sugar in which some rats were kept bored and others were given enriched environments, the, the entertained rats didn't hit the sugar as hard, which suggests that it's a it's a more psychological addiction than a physical addiction, since another behavior can provide similar similar stimulation to eating. Right. And I think we've all heard that before, that um, a lot of people eat when they're bored. Oh, totally. I do that all the time. Yeah. I try to do it less than I want to. <laughs> right. It's always in the back of my mind. I could be eating. Yeah. Do I need to be? Should I be? Probably mm, not. Probably not. And we've also all probably heard that people, um, you can get addicted to the behavior around a thing. Like I hear this from people who smoke mm-hmm. that almost the, just the act of like, the lighter, and yeah. Like after coffee or after a meal, or mm-hmm. even coffee. Some I'm like oh, that completely. With coffee. I'm yeah. almost like addicted to the ritual around it, uh-huh. just as much. So there's definitely something there. I yeah, think. yeah. There, there's no, there's no huge consensus on the addictive properties of sugar, is what we're saying. But right. but it's it's probably both physical and psychological, at least a little. Right. Yeah. Kind of. It's not cocaine. Your your cereal All is not <laughs> your cereal is not cocaine. Don't don't worry. So don't 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 worry. Unless you're, you're unless you're putting cocaine in your cereal, which yeah, I don't know why you're doing that. Yeah. But when you're when you're looking into to all of the the science behind uh, sugar and behavior and addiction and uh, stuff like that, there's a name that you will probably run into a whole lot. Right. 
that of Dr. Robert Lustig, who works in San Francisco's University of California's pediatrics department. He and his colleagues have written books and papers claiming that sugar is not just bad for you, but toxic. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he also has a, a YouTube video of a lecture he gave that's over an hour long and has millions of views, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. He conducted a study on 43 African-American and Latino youth from ages 8 to 18. And he gathered information about their dietary habits and designed individual nine-day menus for each to match the average amount of calories they consumed on a daily basis. And then he switched the sugars in their diets for starch without sugar. Yeah. E- equal calories, though. Yes. Equal calories. The calories remain the same. They just got rid of the sugars. Uh, and over the nine days, the participants weighed themselves. And if they were losing weight, they were instructed to eat more of the provided food to maintain weight. Okay. Okay. The study found that when sugar was reduced to less than 10% of daily caloric intake, fasting blood sugar fell by 53%. Whew. The fat in the liver decreased. Production of insulin decreased. Triglycerides declined. So the point of this study um, and what it seems to suggest is that the high number of calories alone in sugar and all the health implications that come with that don't account for the impact sugar has on our bodies and that sugar itself and not obesity, which is the main point, is the cause of some of these health problems. And and they they really did specify sugar. The the diets included, uh, like Annie said, lots of starches and also processed foods. Like um, examples that Lustig gave were things like um, exchanging turkey hot dogs in for a kid's usual chicken teriyaki, or or a bagel instead of a pastry. And he argues that because these diets were far from ideal and the participants' measures still got better in such a short time, that we really should be concentrating on the sugar factor here. Some experts argue that since this study relied on self-reporting, there's always a little bit of doubt. Sure, there's some wiggle room in there. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, also a relatively low number of participants in the cohort. Yes, true. Uh, That the results aren't necessarily reliable and that it detracts from the overall health concerns surrounding overconsumption and obesity. But Lustig contends that we can't dismiss that sugar, which is relatively new to our bodies, evolutionarily speaking, is more harmful than previously thought. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well... Is that all the bad news we have, Lauren? Um, it's certainly not. Uh, one, one question, um, that, that kind of begs itself when we're discussing all of this is, is how, I mean, like, like if this was new to you, dear listener, as it is, was new to me, like, I mean, like mm-hmm. I knew that like sugar's bad, but, but I, but I didn't know these types of facts about it. Uh, you know, like why hasn't medicine figured out before now? That sugar is bad. Like, like, why is it taking studies being conducted in, in this, our fresh new 21st century to figure this stuff out? Part of the reason for that is coming up after one more ad break. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. So so why, why do we eat so much sugar? Why is it in 74% of the foods on American shelves? <laughs> why, why don't we, why haven't we figured out more about it before now? Do I smell a conspiracy? It's it it is a conspiracy. Oh <laughs> no. A food conspiracy. <laughs> Here's here is where it gets crazy. Um uh okay. So with all these scary health implications, you might be thinking about purging your pantry and promising yourself to be more mindful about your sugar intake. But that is probably Easier said than done, mm-hmm. especially given how many different names there are for a lot of sugar on nutrition labels. Speaking of, if you look at a nutrition label, you'll notice that sugar is different from everything else on there in, in that it doesn't have a percent daily value number next to it. What's up with that? The sugar industry. Dun, dun, dun. Aren't you shocked? No. <laughs> Uh, we could we could probably do like several episodes in a row about about all of the ins and outs of of this of this drama, but mm-hmm. we'll give you like kind of sort of the Cliff Notes version, right? Okay, so in 1920s America, you didn't see or hear that much about heart disease, which is a key player in all of this. Yes. But over the next few decades, it became more and more common, culminating in 1955 when President Dwight Eisenhower had a heart attack. And in a public statement, the president's physician said the key to avoiding heart disease was, one, quit smoking, and two, cut back on fats and cholesterols. Fats and cholesterols. Yes. Huh. To back up this advice, the physician pointed to the research of nutritionists Enzel Keys, mm-hmm. who was a pioneer of this nutrition advice most of us are familiar with now, of avoiding fats like butter, red meat, and eggs, because it'll clog up your arteries. Uh, and Eisenhower took this advice to heart. Too soon. 
uh, and stopped eating saturated fat completely until he died of heart disease in 1969. Huh. So apparently it didn't really work. Yeah. American doctors listened, and the danger fat posed shaped our views on health and diet. Despite the fact that it didn't apparently work out in this one very famous case. Right. Okay. Nutritionists in the UK were not as convinced. Uh, uh, They were led by the author of the 1972 book, Pure, White, and Deadly, John Yudkin. Okay. Through various studies and observations about how the liver processed sugar before it entered the bloodstream, Yudkin grew more and more convinced that instead of fat, sugar was to blame for heart disease. Hmm. Another reason he thought this was, was because fat had always been a part of our diet, whereas sugar was new to the scene. Back in the U.S., Ansel Keys called Yukin a hack, and his research propaganda on behalf of big meat and dairy. <laughs> uh, aside from professionally disagreeing with each other, the two apparently, like, really didn't like each other. Yeah, and I also hear, um, I don't hear, I read that Yudkin was kind of shy and didn't really like to speak publicly, whereas Ansel Keys was very charismatic. Ah. Yeah. So he he was just better at getting the public on his side. Sure. There's a similar story in um in uh what's the word that's not anthropology, paleontology. <laughs> that word. Right. Yes. Uh with, with the with the Brontosaurus, which I guess we can't really talk about on this show no, because they're not I... food aside from in the Flintstones. But it's a pretty good Aww. there's a pretty good brain stuff episode about it if okay. you if you want to go check out that video. I do. <laughs> Very interested. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Brontosaurus aside the British Sugar Bureau also attacked Yudkin, and the World Sugar Research Organization called his book Science Fiction. Oh, my goodness. Which is pretty harsh. Yeah. Meanwhile, Keyes rose up the nutrition and health ranks in the U.S. From the American Heart Association to the National Institutes of Health, and to back up his claim that fat was the real culprit, he kept citing a study he and some of his colleagues conducted on the diets, lifestyles, and health of over 12,000 middle-aged men from seven countries that showed a correlation between fat intake and heart disease. But, as you might guess, <laughs> this wasn't the most scrupulous study. Uh, the primary problem being that the seven countries were chosen by Keyes as ones he knew would support his hypothesis. Huh. And on top of that, there was no control group, no way to pinpoint saturated fat as the cause when it could be one of the hundred plus things that make up the diets and lifestyles of folks. And in fact, the study's lead researcher went back to the data several years later and concluded that sugar was more closely correlated with heart disease than fat. There was no follow-up study, of course, to corroborate Key's blame fat battle cry. But nevertheless, the damage was done. Doctors told patients that fat and cholesterol were bad. And it didn't help that fat also means fat, as in obese. Yeah. Yeah, words, man, they matter. They do. 54% of doctors surveyed in 2014 still believe this, by the way. Oh. Yeah. This this was all made even worse um, by the sugar industry itself. Right. Because you better believe they did not waste any time to capitalize on and encourage the vilification of fat. Sugar refineries started what eventually would become the Sugar Association in response to World War II rationing pamphlets telling Americans they don't need no gosh darn sugar. <laughs> <laughs> which which at the time was a 
good political message, like sa- save that sugar for true soldiers yeah. overseas. But the Sugar Association was no. not going to have it. <laughs> um, and by 1947, the Sugar Association had its own PR division called Sugar Information Inc. And one of their first ad campaigns hailed sugar as a da, 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 weight loss product. <laughs> These were these were some serious campaigns. The association started out with an annual budget of what would be 3.4 million in today's dollars, Whoa. and that was funded by sugar brands like Dixie and Domino and etc. Um, they were they were paying doctors and nutritionists and food and drink companies to help propagate their message. <sighs> and and we have we have evidence of this. Yeah. Or, I mean not us personally, yeah, well. but 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 the world at large. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't do investigative journalism here. We're merely reporting. <laughs> Memos from the Sugar Association dating back to 1962 demonstrate the Sugar Association's top brass were aware of a possible correlation between sugar and heart disease. But to them this was small potatoes because many Americans had made the switch to diet drinks. Sweetened with not sugar. Big problem for them. Uh, A.K.A. Artificial sweeteners. Right. And their share of the soft drink market, the artificial sweetener share of the soft drink market, jumped up from 4% in 1963 to 15% in 1968, which is pretty solid growth. Yeah, totally. So as a response. Yep. Also in 1968, the Sugar Association started the International Sugar Research Foundation, or... ISRF, Mm -hmm. to combat what they called false claims about the detrimental effects of eating sugar. And they poured money into this as well, examining, 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 sure, (laughs) yes, examining every possible health downside of using artificial sweeteners. One of them, cyclomates. Cyclomates? (laughs) I'm going to say cyclomates. Cyclomates, I'm. Pretty sure it's not like Lamate. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they were banned in the U.S. in 1969 when a study found a correlation linking them to bladder cancer, something that later was dismissed. The um, ISRF vice president and research director at the time, John Hickson, would later work for the Cigar Research Council. Good, good dude all around. <laughs> the Cigar Research Council is an organization that says that smoking is basically fine. Yeah. So he cut his teeth to sugar <laughs> yeah. and moved up. Okay. Yeah. The ISRF would eventually get saccharin banned too, another artificial sweetener. So you've got to admit they were pretty effective yeah. at their jobs. They were moving and shaking. Yeah. Um, confronted with mounting evidence that sucrose was a factor in, oh gosh. Atherosclerosis. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> The Sugar Association wanted to shift the focus of America's health concerns to absolutely anything else. And that something else was saturated fats. So, in a 1967 edition of the New England Journal of Medicine, there was this review paper out of Harvard's Department of Nutrition. It was led by Frederick Stair and funded in part by companies like Kellogg's and Coca-Cola and in part by the aforementioned ISRF. So you know it was on the up and up. Mm-hmm. It pointed the finger at fat for being a direct cause of coronary heart disease. Uh, the publication did not disclose the sugar industry's funding of the study, you know, nor that the International Sugar Research Foundation set objectives for, contributed content to, 
and received drafts of the paper. And and this was huge. OK, the, the New England Journal of Medicine was and is a premier journal and review papers, which compile data from a lot of different scientific studies. Uh, review papers are really widely cited. So by using such a paper to suggest that prior studies linking sugar to negative health effects were problematic, no matter how good they actually were, and and then simultaneously holding up studies about fats negative effects, no matter how bad those studies were, they were able to shape the discourse with this one paper about both sugar and fat for decades to come. Um, there's there's a really amazing paper about the history of all of this in the November 2016 issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, which is worth a read if you have access to it. And Frederick Stare, that's not the last you're going to hear of him, but he would go on to testify about sugar's positives to Congress and compile a document funded by the sugar industry of scientific evidence, (laughs) (laughs) loosely using that word there, um, exonerating sugar titled Sugar in the Diet of Man. And the press release accompanying this document read, Scientists Dispel Sugar Fears. (sighs) Uh, 1970s ads from the sugar industry said things like, quote, If sugar is so fattening, how come so many kids are thin? (laughs) And and here's my favorite. This was from a women's magazine. Um, I, I believe it ran in Marie Claire. Quote, sugar can be the willpower you need to undereat. <laughs> Which <laughs> is almost the opposite of what we hear now. <laughs> it's it's also just awful. Like like don't discourage don't don't encourage women to undereat. That's goodness my oh. okay. But they were but they were being vastly rewarded within their own industries uh, for this kind of behavior. Yep. In 1976, in fact, one of the highest awards in the realm of public relations, the Silver Anvil, was presented to executives from the Sugar Association for, quote, forging the public opinion. Get it? it anvil's forging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm just, like, doing the research horrified <laughs> that puns went right over my head. Coincidentally, that same year, stairs... Frederick Stairs, uh-huh. conflicts of interest were exposed. It didn't matter, though. An FDA committee with two members that had ties to the sugar industry used Stairs' sugar in the diet of man paper to label sugar as generally recognized as safe, which is a actual thing. In the oh, yeah. FDA. Yeah. That's a, that's a category. Yeah. yeah. I think gras, which is funny because that's fat in French. Ah, G-R-A-S. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> They conceded that maybe it wasn't great for the teeth, but other than that, it was A-OK. There were detractors, mainly the USDA's Carbohydrate Nutrition Laboratory, who advocated that sugar consumption should come down by 60 percent, that it did and, and that it did, excuse me, cause diabetes, obesity and heart disease. But they were ignored. And all of these shenanigans, like, weren't even the first time that the sugar industry had gotten up to some serious shenanigans. Nope. Sugar refiners campaigned for scientific standards to, to differentiate between raw and refined sugar and pushed successfully for purer, quotes, raw sugar to be more heavily taxed. Um, there are a lot of taxes and tariffs around sugar. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. Um and it, it leads to the, the the fluctuating politics of it leads to fluctuating prices in sugar, which is 
a another fascinating little bit of history for a whole other episode. Right. Which we have researched and you will get to hear sometime. Sometime. Yes. <laughs> yes. First the scary stuff, then the other terrible scary stuff. <laughs> We should, this should be a horror podcast. (laughs) Food horror. Food horror. Oh (laughs) man, we could do it too. Yeah, we could. So basically by getting these tariffs on raw sugar, it was a way to make sure that they reigned over the sugar market in the United States. But uh, the EU has done this too. Mm -hmm. uh, And also Japan, I believe. Um, They... One of the ways that they went about this refined sugar uh, was by running ads that showed insects living inside raw sugar and claiming that raw sugar caused, quote, grocers itch. Grocers itch. <laughs> and okay. that slaves in China and India were producing sugar tainted with dirt and animals. Uh, and they did all this to convince the American public that raw sugar was just not for them. Stick to that refined stuff. Yeah. Huh. I feel like the, the the marketing these days for raw sugar is like, oh, it's more natural than this dirty, chemically influenced refined sugar. Yeah. The pendulum is definitely swinging in the other direction. Uh, <sighs> okay. The ISRF, International Sugar Research Foundation, they did look at the health implications of sugar. Uh, but they were encouraged to keep any findings under wraps. I, the way I read this was they wanted to be aware so that if it somehow became public knowledge, they would like know how to fight it. They would know how to fight it. And also, uh, I'm sure that they thought maybe if there's a way we can combat this problem without anyone ever figuring out it was a problem too. So they did want to know. The, the the sugar industry did want to know these problems. They, they just, just didn't don't... want everyone to know these problems. <laughs> uh, and, cool. Knowledge, yeah. knowledge is good. I'm glad that they like knowledge for themselves. Yes. And after the bad press from people like Yudkin, the ISRF proposed research programs to delve into the effects sugar had on health. And the Sugar Association responded, of course, by pulling support from the ISRF. And all of their research projects. Oh, dang. Yeah. Ooh. Naturally. They directed that money to 17 studies conducted from 1975 to 1980 designed to absolve sugar under the guise of properly conducted science. Uh, so they're kind of like pseudo studies. Yeah. Uh, a panel of sugar friendly scientists and a committee of, quote, Contributing research members, this committee was staffed by representatives from companies like Coca-Cola, Hershey's, and um, they approved all the research proposals with the most money awards going to studies that didn't just absolve sugar, but painted it in a positive light. So, of course, the scientists are going to try to get the more money by painting sugar. In an even more positive light. Yes. Give us give us an example of one of these shining examples of humanity. <laughs> okay, absolutely. <laughs> um, they recruited a diabetes expert, Edwin Bierman, a fellow who actually believed that diabetics did not need to worry about sugar so long as they were healthy, and convinced the American Diabetes Association to loosen the restrictions on carbs and sugars, but to raise them on saturated fats. 
since I just kind of like slammed this dude, I, I, I don't, I don't know Edwin Bierman personally. Um, it, it's possible that he was just deeply misgiven. It, yeah, it's absolutely and, possible. And, and earnestly thought that this was great advice and mm-hmm. that he was doing the best thing for human people. I don't, it doesn't, I don't know, y'all. Pe- people make mistakes. That's they all do. I'm saying. They do. Anyway. So Edwin Bierman will give you the benefit of the doubt. We will. Yes, because <laughs> we're nice that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, research on the potential negative impact of sugar halted almost completely by 1980, which interestingly happens mm. to be the same year that the U.S. issued the first dietary guidelines and the U.K. followed suit pretty soon after in 1983. You're probably familiar, but the main takeaway of these guidelines was eat less saturated fat and cholesterol and people responded by switching out fats with carbs, sugar being one of those carbs. Yeah, that that, that base of that food pyramid that's just like, eat all of the carbs and sugar, it's right. fine. Right. So fine for you. <laughs> fine like sugar. So, <laughs> so what happened? Well, obesity rates skyrocketed from 15% of Americans in 1980 to 35% in 2000. And in the UK, the increase was even more significant, 6% in the mid-80s to two-thirds the population today. Oof. So obviously, these guidelines did not accomplish what they were set out to do. Uh, and the lack of evidence that fat was behind all of this was starting to make some scientists Pulled their collars a little, a little uneasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since low-fat diets had never been studied on women. Which is an interesting side of the medical industry. Um, there's a lot of studies that just don't involve women. Including some studies on birth control. Oh. Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. Yeah. So in 1993, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and the Women's Health Initiative sought to correct this with the largest controlled diet trial ever commissioned at the time, while simultaneously erasing any lingering doubts about the villainy of fat. But the study did not bear it out. Women on the low-fat diets were at no lower risk of heart disease than the control group. Uh, but the study was dismissed as flawed. Oh. <laughs> right. This wasn't even the end of of this type of misleading r- research study and, and like, science-human buyout by, by the industry. L- lots of studies are still funded, in part, by the sugar industry. Um... One review, by the way, found that studies funded by the sugar and or beverage industry are five times more likely to report no connection between sugary drinks and weight gain than the non-industry funded studies are. So funding matters. For for example, in 2015, Coca-Cola funded the creation of the Global Energy Balance Network, which is a nonprofit for scientists who advocate uh, that, that we should pay more attention to total caloric balance and exercise than to the source of your calories or, or even to cutting calories. Hmm. Um, its vice president, Dr. Stephen Blair, has received more than $3.5 million from Coca-Cola for research projects just since 2008. Wow. And that's just the biggest number. It's, it's other higher ups have also received large monetary gifts or donations, more than half a million dollars each. That money earmarked for, for funding and, and creating the, this, this global energy balance network. Look, y'all, like it's, it's, it's certainly true. It's certainly true that getting funding for research and special projects, especially if you're a member of a public university, can be really difficult. Um, money can get scarce. So, so gifts from corporations can really help, but, but just holy cow, y'all, it is a conflict of interest. Speaking of studies, segue. <laughs> uh, a 2008 Oxford study found the opposite 
of accepted health guidelines. Um, the country with the highest intake of saturated fats, which is France, had the lowest rates of heart disease. And Ukraine had the highest rates of heart disease and the lowest consumption of saturated fats. Huh. An analysis on cholesterol data from 192 countries found that lower cholesterol levels correlated with higher rates of heart disease. Huh. It was like, yeah, that's the opposite of what I've heard. Sure. My whole life, pretty much. Right. Uh, That same year, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, their own analysis found no probable or convincing evidence, quotes, uh, that heart disease or cancer could be traced to high fat diets. I, I kind of, I kind of want to, kind of want to mention that that there, there are obviously a lot of factors that go into obesity rates. Uh, it's not like a one-to-one correlation of like, of like absolutely increased sugar intake is the only thing that has led to obesity rates. The 1980s yes. are also absolutely when, um, when, when between computers and television, people started li- living a lot, a much more sedentary lifestyle in developed countries, yeah. which I'm sure has something to do with it. It doesn't sound like the sugar helped. No. But the way that sugar is reported on nutrition labels in the United States, at least, is going to be changing over the next couple years. Mm-hmm. The ice cream that I was eating while I was researching this episode, uh, <laughs> I, I had so many cravings. It was really terrible. Um, uh, the ice cream I was eating already had a new line on its label, added sugars. In May of 2016, the FDA announced that packaged foods are going to need to have an added sugars line on their nutrition labels um, uh, expressed in grams and a percentage of daily value, uh, you know, according to that like typical 2000 calorie a day diet. Um, and proponents are hoping that it'll spur consumers to, to, to make better informed choices about the foods that they're eating and hopefully eventually by, by proxy to spur food companies to add less sugar to their products. That good old sugar association, uh, called it a quote, dangerous precedent that is not grounded in science. <laughs> Yeah, but everything else on the nutrition label has to have it. I I don't, you know. Uh, uh, the, the the new labels will also up the font size um, on, on serving size and on calories per serving. So that's so that's pretty sweet. Nice. <laughs> oh, that was a pun. Oh no. Oh. Oh, you crap. didn't even realize you were making it. No, I didn't. Oh. Oh, that's fine. That's okay. Puns are just in my brain now. I spent way too, way, way too long podcasting with Jonathan Strickland. All the love to Jonathan Strickland. Um, and, Puns are great. And, and also there, there's other, there is other like hypothetically good news out there. Is there? Well, I mean, there, there's been some really good like social and political pushback over the past few years. Um, all of those laws in various cities and, and counties that are trying to, oh, yeah. uh, cut down on the sizes of, of sugary beverages that can be served or to in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not kids can buy sports drinks or yeah. sodas or candy bars. Yeah. yeah. I think the label thing is a pretty big step because before I really started hearing about this, I didn't know. I would look at a label and be like, I'm not sure if that's like how a lot much, of sugar. Yeah. How much sugar is a lot of sugar? There's no, there's no percentage. And a lot of things to me, you just wouldn't expect to have that much sugar. You know, there's sugar in there. Oh, sure. But like, but how much? Like, I, I don't know. Like, like what about this Frappuccino? Yeah. It must, it's delicious. So I should probably, how much sugar? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Those coffee drinks. 
Oh, yeah. Notorious. Yeah. And the weird thing is a lot of them don't even taste that sweet to me, which I don't know if that just means I've got that tolerance thing going on. Yeah. Or I don't know. Me neither. It's a confusing and terrifying world out there. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yes. We're um, rays of sunshine. <laughs> no, no. Um, I mean, I, I would I would always rather know about these things and know what we can do to, to try to fight it than to remain ignorant. Um, oh, sure. And and hungry. If you, if you just heard my stomach growl, that's why I said the hungry part. Um, <laughs> I, I do hope that those nutrition labels will do that thing of trying to encourage companies to add less sugar to their products because tastes can change. Like, like yeah. absolutely. You, and like all of us do not need all of that sugar in, in ketchup or in mac and cheese or whatever it is. And, yeah. you know, trying to switch away from, from those foods to, to whole fruits and vegetables and lean cuts of meat is probably better for us in the long run. But, mm-hmm. We're still going to eat ketchup and mac and cheese. Yeah. Maybe not together. I judge you if you do that. <laughs> I can't say I've never done that. <laughs> um, if we're taking like the horror podcast look. Yeah. Alternative future. Uh-huh. What if we replace added sugar with something even worse? Oh. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I think we just need to be aware as consumers. Yeah. <laughs> as society. Don't totally stress yourselves out about it, but, but. But yeah, just just pay attention. Like like if you have a if if you're not in a total rush at the grocery store, do read your nutrition labels and mm-hmm. just be aware of what's going on. Yeah, my general rule is if I can't recognize some of the ingredients, eh, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not for me. <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm a little bit laissez faire about stuff like that. But uh, but I mean, especially for treats. Like I I think I think it's completely valid to treat yourself and just be like, man, I I really want this donut and eat the donut. Well, see, a donut doesn't come with a nutrition label. Therefore, I can, like, lie in the back of my head. Well, I'm sure this is less than 25 grams, <laughs> grams of sugar. sugar. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it's amazing what you could convince yourself when you really want to eat a donut. Uh, so that's sugar and health. Like yeah. we said, we will have um, an episode like the history and science of making sugar. Yeah, um, that that will be coming your way. If not immediately after this episode, certainly soon. Right. Hopefully immediately after. You the future. <laughs> yeah. Anything could happen the in it. Big wide future. But in the meanwhile, if, if you're looking for a shorter version of this, there's an amazing brain stuff video about sugar. Yes. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. By Mr. Paul Denchant. Yes. And it is on brain stuff. You can Google it. Yes. Google Brain Stuff Sugar. And the, the YouTubes. And if there's any other topic ideas that you have for us, anything else that you'd like us to ruin for you forever. Send us an email. Yeah. Foodstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. We are also on Instagram at Foodstuff. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a Twitter account. It's not up right now. I I don't know. If you Google Foodstuff Twitter, things will happen. Yeah. (laughs) Basically, just get on Google. (laughs) (laughs) Our recommendation, read your food labels and Google stuff. Thanks to our audio producer, uh, uh, Noel Brown, and his fabulous hats. Thanks to those as well. They always bring me joy. And we hope that many other good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.